This is Jacob Ross with JLB Morelia. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And you're listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. Enjoy. We're we're going now. It's happening. Um. So welcome, everybody. This is episode 68 of the Herpeticulture Podcast. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics, and typically across the table from me is one Jacob Bratz of JLB Morelia, but he is not here tonight. He is on dad duty. But we have his twin, vocally and physically, Phil Wolf, the Wolf of Wheelerai. Salutations. And it's, uh, well, first of all, this episode is brought to you by... Steve's Snakesuary, Venom Hot Sauces, get the whole set, they're delicious, they're hot. Muy caliente. Muy caliente. Uh, so, we appreciate Steve for helping make the show possible. Um, I guess we can, we, we're joined by Sean Wagner. We told everyone this is a special episode, and I'll just go ahead and start it off and say that Sean is the owner and operator of MP Cages and Exotics, and he is now the official sponsor of the Herpeticulture Podcast. Yay! Woo! <clears throat> so, we'll get into uh, that stuff a little more, but, Sean, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be here. Excited to be here. I'm glad you're here, man. We've, uh... So am I. We've been talking a lot, you know. We, he he originally kind of popped up on on snakes and stogies, and that's what sort of kickstarted the whole thing. I had mentioned that we were looking at finding a, a rack or cage sponsor, and Sean was like, "Hey, I got you. I'm your guy." Yeah, he definitely does. And here we are. Um, do do do. So, like, were you Sean? Were you following us before snakes and stogies? Like on other stuff, like how did you how did you come across snakes and stogies to begin with? Uh, snakes and stogies was uh, pretty random, actually. Uh, I did follow Palmetto Coast Exotics THP. I followed you guys for a while, um, and I want to say it was one of the times I was looking up a uh, from the ground up podcast, looking up one of his old ones on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I happened to run across you guys were live at that exact moment. And I was like, oh, wait, ooh, look at this. What's this? <laughs> Click. Nice. That's that's crazy, man. Like, you think about it. Like, had that not happened, like, this wouldn't have happened. Oh, yeah. You know, like the butterfly effect. It's Probably real. glad it happened. Yeah, man. Uh, so, yeah, we were talking about that on Snakes and Stogies, and Sean was like, oh, well, I'm I'm kind of kicking off something caging and enclosures-wise. You know, I'll sponsor you. And so then we started talking to Sean, and of course it turns out to be that he's just an awesome dude. And he's a Morelia guy. He's a Morelia guy, which that automatically, when I was like, Sean, what are you keeping, man? He's like, Morelia. I was like, this is our guy. This is it. (laughs) Winner, winner. This is meant to be. Uh, But we'll just get into sort of the general info about yourself. You know, introduce yourself, uh, who you are, what you're doing. Uh, how you got into reptiles, more importantly. So give us the give us the backlog of information. The skinny. The skinny. 
Okay. Okay. So again, my name is Shane, uh, Sean Wagner. Uh, I now own and operate MP cages and exotics. Uh, for me, reptile started like, again, like so many other people when they're little kids, um, the rules that were in my house is if I could catch it, I could keep it as long as it wasn't a snake. <laughs> and so I had lots of toads, lots of fence lizards. Um, I grew up in California, um, right there, smack dab in the middle of Central Valley in between Fresno and Bakersfield. Uh, so, yeah. Awesome. And I was allowed to have X amount of terrariums, and that was it. So I constantly kind of rotated out whatever I happened to catch, you know. And then every once in a while I'd get yelled at for bringing in a any kind of snake I found. My mom would find it and then yell at me. That's the way it works. It's a trend with guys like us. <laughs> so wait, like, you, you did you not have snakes, like, full-time at all when you were a kid? Or was it not until you were older that you finally got your hands on some? Yeah, not until I, I was older, uh... My father it was like deadly, like deathly afraid of snakes. Mm-hmm. Like he saw it from like across a river, and he'd be like, "Okay, time to go the other direction." <laughs> Went around about. Yeah. Um, on it, I remember the first time that I brought a snake to their house after I'd moved out and everything like that. And he was so they have like two living rooms, and there's a kitchen in between in their house. Yeah. I'm in one living room, and I'm speaking into him as he's all the way in the other living room, like 40 feet away, you know, and mm-hmm. that's as close as he would get. And I remember at one point, I'm sitting there, the snake crawls down and hits the carpet, and my dad, who's sitting 40 feet away, lifts his feet up off the ground because the snake touched the ground. It was We've weird. all been there. <laughs> See, I never, I never really had that issue. Like, my parents were never scared of snakes I mean my mom obviously was like when they got loose she was kind of pissed but it was never yeah but your dad never like your that. dad was a herper when you were a kid right uh, I mean he did it I think he he did it mostly because of like I was wanting to do it yeah that's cool you know so let me ask you Sean when you when you got snakes were you like officially out of mom and dad's house were you like living on your own or was it like under the bed secret kind of thing well there's there's the probably four or five under the bed secret thing until they were found several right. times when I was a teenager in high school. Um, and then, uh, but the first true like snakes that I purchased was out of the house. And, and what were those? What were those? So my first pair of snakes were Dumeril boas. Oh, cool. Very cool. Um, so for me, actually growing up and stuff like that, my tiny little town that I never left of 40,000 people. And we were the big city in the area. (laughs) Um, We had one pet store at the time and I don't ever remember them. They're having reptiles there. The general consensus of the town is reptiles were evil and disgusting and horrible things. So I knew nobody growing up that liked reptiles except me. I didn't have that. I didn't have people to talk and mess around with um, and enjoy that with um, until I met my ex-girlfriend at the time. um, And she happened to like snakes. 
and stuff like that as well. And when, and it was probably about like four months after we moved out of our parents' places, we moved out. We all of a sudden realized that there were pet stores that had reptiles <laughs> and we didn't have to, you know, scrounge whatever we could find in the wild. It's dangerous. <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, I, we literally, the day we found out that like, cause we went to our, the bigger city is about an hour, a little over an hour drive away. There was a reptile specialty store. We walked in and we walked out with the pair of Doomerals boas. Awesome. And how, how long ago was that? That would be 2004. Oh, okay. Cool. Did, let me ask you, did the Doomer Boas have the uh, the infamous patch of different colored scales on the chin? Do you remember? Yes, they did. Nice. I always ask people who have Doomerals, especially guys that have Doomerals, and girls, excuse me, that have Doomerals for a long time. I say, hey, uh, do you ever notice that patch on their chin, you know? And some people are like, no, I never looked at it. And other people are like, oh, yeah, I always wonder what that was. Yeah, I do remember that because I noticed it, too, after I started getting other snakes and everything else. Sorry, Ellie is, Ellie is here. You going to say hello? Hello. Hello. <laughs> are you going to bed? Yes, Mom no? What? Okay. All righty. Well, go back inside before your feet get all gross. Kids are supposed to have gross feet. Don't you know that? Not after they've bathed and about to get in bed. <laughs> Come on. Okay. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Damn kids. Um. So, at what point did you get into Morelia, though? So Morelia would be, oh gosh, 2007 um, was the year we discovered that there were actually reptile shows out there as well. Um, And we went to NARBC Anaheim. Mm -hmm. And it was a jungle jag from Psychotic Exotics. Ooh. I laid my eyes at that animal right there. I was like instantly like, I need to have those. That's that's the spot to get your first carpet though. Yup. They make some just unreal stuff. I think uh I think Riley's kinda tight with Todd if I'm not mistaken. They talk a good bit. But so uh what after that though, what was like did you just keep getting carpets after that? Like did you did you get the Morelia bug pretty pretty hard? So <clears throat> at the time I was that stereotypical idiot in reptiles who kept way too many snakes and way too much of everything. Uh-huh. That happens so, to all of us. Yeah, as soon as I found out about I could, the fact that I could buy snakes, I think I went to probably up to around three to 400 animals in the first year. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. All the That's things a... you shouldn't do. Yeah, I did that. It's <laughs> a good handful. Yeah. Um, when I was really young, uh, in 2000, end of 2005, I was able to purchase my first house. Um, and my entire house was a giant zoo. It was, it was like, cause you walked in, it was like 1200 square feet. The living room was like 800 square feet of it. 
<laughs> and you, you walked in through the door and it was just rows of cages through the entire 800 square feet. Did you do the crazy thing and like do like natural ovariums or was it like racks in the living room? So I had some racks. It was mostly just cages. Um, naturalistic invariums were for some of the frogs we did keep at the time. Um, cool. We had red eye tree frogs, white dumpies frogs. I have no idea what their scientific names are. So I can't say those. Me neither. Those okay. <laughs> yeah. I can, um, I can do dart frogs all day, but anything past that, I'm like, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. But yeah, I was all over the place. I had retics, berms, all pythons, red tails, corn snakes, king snakes, all the milk snakes. Um, we had some tegus for a little while. I just realized I wasn't a big lizard guy. Yeah, I mean, the, I say it all end. the time. Like, snakes really spoil you, man. They do. It's it's hard to go to things that eat plants and bugs on a regular basis when you just have like snakes. more than once like, a week? Yeah. The dart frogs are is, as far as that goes for me. It is good, though. It allowed you to, having that many animals, I'm sure it lets you realize what you loved and what you didn't, what you what you thought you could progress with and what was just, you know, pet stuff. And obviously it led you in the right direction to the superior Morelius. That's right. Oh yeah. So, um, carpet pythons at the time weren't really my girlfriends. She did not like them very much because they were evil. <laughs> um, so I only had a few of those, uh, but I mean, the gamut was everywhere else. Um, her big thing, and I love them too, were berms and retics. So, I mean, at our peak, we probably had about 150 adult berms and 100 adult retics or so. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a lot of room. That is a lot of room. That's a lot of snake. It's <laughs> a lot of cages, man. Jeez. Yeah, it was. But what's your collection uh, now? My collection now is significantly smaller. Um, Quality over quantity. For the most part, it's uh, realizing what's realistic that I can handle with my current situation. Um, when I was younger and stupid, I made a couple bad choices and I ended up losing that house. And so in order to try to save the house and keep a roof over my head, I sold a lot of those animals. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so those were my own stupid choices. And it was, I, I got way too many way too fast wasn't prepared for anything to go wrong in my life and that's we what happened of course say as we, we all are, are at that younger age yep we're bulletproof nothing bad happens when you're bulletproof yeah i'm 22 uh, i know everything oh yeah that was an idiot <laughs> i've seen the world i have many leather-bound books but no guys i love her seriously She's great. Yeah, I'm actually going through that with uh, my stepson right now, who's 19, and he is all full of piss and vinegar. Oh, yeah. I remember me when I was 19, and I wouldn't want to deal with me. But does he like snakes? No. Fact, <laughs> oh, only, man. If anything, the only thing he really likes is bearded dragons. Oh, I mean, that's something. Yeah, it's it, something. It's something. Um, yeah, he I feel was. Bad. He, I feel like we all chicken. just 
insulted beer dragging people, which I did not want to do, but it kind of slipped out. Yeah, that's not my intent at all. It's the insult bearded dragon people whatsoever. I'm just not a lizard guy. I don't know if we even really have any bearded dragon people that really listen to this. So, if you're a bearded I mean, dragon person and you do, send me a message and tell me. And how, if you're a listener and you happen you to have a bearded dragon, like that's great, good for you. You know, I just I don't imagine bearded dragon people are listening to this. But what do I know? They're out there, and there, you know what? There are some gorgeous bearded dragons out there. Yeah, but Absolutely they have legs and animals. they require a lot of food regularly. And exactly. UV and supplements and all that crap. So I will say this. I, at one point I had like eight or nine pairs of adult beardies in horse troughs. Mm-hmm. And I had cinder blocks in with them as like basking sites. And my big pride and joy male, he decided to dig a little burrow underneath the cinder block, and he crushed himself. Oh, man. And that's when I gave them all away. That <laughs> feels like I'm done. I'm done. But Sean, continue, please. Yes, uh, so what I keep now is um, kind of when I started to get – after selling everything off and started, you know, I've always kind of had one maybe sitting around, always just had something because I couldn't spend no time without a snake. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say the sell-off really happened in like 2009. And in 2010, I picked up a pair of just some uh, Honduran milk snakes. Cool. And uh, just kept those guys for... A few years in that process, I ended up moving to Colorado, where I'm currently at now. Um, Hondurans were regulars, or yeah, just normal. Those Honduran are my favorites milk. of the Hondurans. I like the Anneries a lot, but regular—it's hard to beat a regular Honduran man. Yeah, man, and, and nobody's really got them. They always have crazy tangerine and ghosts and all mm-hmm. that stuff, you know. Yep. Just like Western hogs, everyone's got yep. the morphs. No one's got the normals. The main yep. ingredient to so many things. The OG hog nose. But uh, after I moved to Colorado, I actually became an electrician. Mm-hmm. And started there, and that was probably my next like progressive step towards the downfall back into snakes again. <laughs> One of my foremans was a huge reptile guy. He's lived here in this area his entire life. He knew... He knows the people here and everything. And he happened to keep um, Hondurans as well. So I ended up picking up uh, a ghost and a snow, I believe, from him. Cool. And then it, I, I really fought restraint on letting those old habits of like, I can handle more. Yeah. Buy them um, all. If you see it, buy it. Don't think about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I really fought that restraint um, and kept it small, just a few of those Hondurans. And I wouldn't by any means produce anything every year. That's just not mm-hmm. the way I've been in a long time. Every once in a while, I would throw them together just to get a clutch of something and just to have some babies, just to have some babies. Um, but I ended up, when I really made the choice, I was like, okay, I want to start getting back into this 
and of the couple animals throughout my entire thing that I've loved and that were my biggest regrets getting rid of were my carpet pythons. Um, yeah. So uh, that's where I first went. I ended up getting a Lassic line bread lie. Ooh. So, um, how, many carpets, time, how many carpets did you have before you got rid of everything? I was up to probably nine, ten. And were they different kind? Were they like some coastal stuff or was it kind of a mix? So I had um, coastals, uh, what would be assume, I would assume they were IJs and wild cot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did, right before all the bad things happened, I had picked up my first spread line back then. Um, and I, I mean, back then though, with my carpet pythons, I did not understand the same importance of, you know, record keeping. And I don't think back then it really was as yeah, well known and I as important. People were doing it nearly as much as they do now. Yeah. So I had a couple of jungles, um, the coastals, um, a couple of IJs and then my one bread lie. Yeah. A little bit of everything. Um, yeah. It's good. Um, good mix. You know, yeah. One of them was a jungle jag. I shouldn't say it was jungles. It was jungle jag, which is when I, when I actually got that animal, I had no clue that that was even like a mixed species. I just thought that was a jungle carpet mm-hmm. python at the time. I was just like, oh, it's just okay. And after I impulse bought the animal, I figured out that I was like, oh, okay. This is actually a cross. Okay. I didn't care, but. But it still looked awesome, didn't it? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's it's oh, yeah. it blows my mind how like the just the history of of pop wins or IJs whatever you want to call them and you know just in a fairly short period of time I guess well maybe not but I remember you know like uh, fourteen years ago or whatever was kind of when I first got my IJ and I remember those just being like no one was really doing much with them they were like the trash carpet everyone was kind of like yeah whatever it's an IJ. You know, they were like the, the trailer park carpet. And uh, it's crazy now to see them, like, really rising up in popularity. I I think they've kind of overtaken the jungle slot. I would agree. And seeing, agree. you know, seeing the stuff that Jake's doing and Eric Burke and, uh, you know, all those guys that are really focused on pop ones. It's, I mean, I don't even think we've we've peaked yet with those, but... It's just, it's wild. They used to be, like, no one wanted them. You know, they were yeah. too cheap. No one no one wanted anything to do with them, probably because they were wild-caught. And now, you know, you post wild-caught pop ones that look really good, and people are all over them. <clears throat> yeah. I feel like uh, pop ones a few years back were kind of like how people looked at Biox a few years back. It was like, oh, that's just, that's the mean one that's wild-caught. Pay it no mind. You know, and nobody realized what stunning animals they are, what they mature to. You know, it's the same thing with the pop on carpets. It's, everyone's like, "Oh, that's a four, that's a forty dollars snake." And people it's like, no, still that's... look at Biogs like that. That's true, uh, but I feel like now it's a little better than it used to be. Yeah, and on that note, if I ever go when when I take the plunge into green trees, it's not it's, it's a when issue, not if it's when. Um, it, Biogs are probably going to be the ones I go for. Because looking at them and stuff like that, they're just to me. You're here. 
the ones I like. They're the ones that stood out to me originally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't overly anticipate ever being a huge green tree guy, but I you most say definitely that now. Want to have it. Give it and some I do time. say that now, and I don't, <laughs> I don't deny Just that as soon as I have them, it may change. But well, even, my will is strong enough at the moment that I can say this until I have them in my hands. <laughs> even even Beox, though, I mean, you think about it, there's really only a handful of guys, myself included, that are kind of focused in doing Beox to Beox stuff. Like, not... Everyone's so sort of hyper-focused on mixing subspecies or localities, whatever you want to call it, uh, mm-hmm. and the designer stuff, that there's really not a ton of guys focusing purely on locality. And, I mean, to to some of that, to a degree, is the whole, like, is it actually the locality that you bought it as? No one really knows for sure. Uh, right, right. But, I mean, I can, like, literally, it's like Justin Wilbanks, me, Thomas O'Kane, uh, Brian Fisher, and I'm sure there's maybe one or two other guys, but, like, those those handful those guys are biox nuts like brian fisher he loves biox justin wilbanks he loves biox and so they've been hyper focused on on breeding those and doing captive bred ones and i think a lot of people aren't breeding those specifically because they're so available and they're being imported so much but yeah it's it's weird because you throw biox into into stuff and it it causes it's like you throw in chaos into the into the mix and it just it makes some really wild looking crosses it does. So, it reminds me. It reminds me of those art projects when you were a kid, where you had like glue with the sand, and it's like, okay, I did some blues and some greens, maybe some like you know purple in there, and then all of a sudden somebody comes by and just throws red in. And you're like, whoa! <laughs> I don't know. I love those kaleidoscope biox. I think they're awesome. Yeah, it's it's really bizarre. Like biox and Wamena. That's like the secret ingredient for a lot of the designer stuff that's out there now. You just throw a dash in there, and it just takes it to another level. Yeah. Awesome. So I want to say, in here in Colorado, we really don't have a Morelia presence by any means at the shows. Mm-hmm. Um, on that note, one that I cannot attend that's coming up here in February, Psychotic Exotics is coming out. And I can't go, and I'm irritated. <laughs> uh, but before that, I mean, I'm just 2012 or 2013 was the last time I saw anybody, and it was uh, Clockwork Reptiles with yeah, Ryan yeah. Burke. He's out of Colorado. He lives. He lives out that way. Yeah, he he had a booth in that. But the last time I saw him was it was 2012 or 2013. Mm-hmm. You know, and then beyond that, there just hasn't been a Morelia true. Morelia presence here I can always go and pick up random stuff that no one can tell me any information about right but see I don't I mean I don't know we've had uh I think the last time I went to the Columbia show which was a Repticon there's there's a guy that's been there consistently the last two or three times I went and he's he's almost entirely carpets I don't remember who it is but yeah I think that's kind of the case anywhere though like unless it's you know the super show or whatever you're probably not going to see a booth that or a you know a, a breeder that's solely focused on carpets I don't even think I saw one at Daytona in uh, the future that's my plan for Colorado yeah man carpets put Just it on the map carpets out there do it um but what what Moralia do you have right now 
So I've got that red light female. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a F1 Leary line. Um, IJ Girls 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, I just picked up uh, a pair of M Pen Leary uh, Pop Wins that Jake helped me uh, make that decision. Uh, to pick up the pair of them. Those, He's very good at that. The Pinnell line pop ones. I I had a pair of those years ago, and I so regret getting rid of those because when those things shed, where it would normally be brown, it was literally like this grayish lavender. Wow. And oh my god, I have pictures. I'll have to send them to you both at some point because so, I, I showed Jake pictures of it, and he was like, "Why did you get rid of those?" I was like, "I don't. I didn't really realize what I had at the time. I knew, you know, it was." Michael Pinnell stuff, so it's like it's pretty high quality. But when I got, I, I kind of sold off everything at one point too, and took a break from the hobby for about a year. Uh, and I, I regret getting rid of those. I wish I had held on to them. <clears throat> so, on that note, that is the exact reason I bought that pair that I just got was <laughs> the, the dad has some amazing lavenders coming mm-hmm. out for the styre. Nice. I uh, had some amazing lavenders and. The mail that I got already is you can you can see it and because the guy was sending me pictures and you can see it starting to come out and so I was just like yep all right and then Jake you know was like oh no he's a good guy and then I told Jake he just totally twisted my arm and made me do it so. yeah he's a horrible influence when it comes to that kind of stuff he whispers in your ear he's like the little amber colored devil on your shoulder popping <laughs> carpets. All of them, buy them all. You know you yes. want them. Um, Do as I say. I think he likes to live vicariously through us, too. I mean, I know I do. When all my friends get cool animals, new stuff, breed stuff, I love to live vicariously through them. So I think because he's so Poplin-obsessed, uh, he's like, yes, I get to live through my friends' acquisitions as well. <laughs> I don't know. He'll randomly message that. me and be like, oh, I got this male Poplin coming. I'm like, wait, what? When? I'm trying to dig up these photos of these pop ones right now. I don't remember. When I got my trio, he was like, why didn't you buy them? I was like, I I don't know, man. I'm kind of looking at other stuff. He's like, no, man, you need to go back there and buy them. And I did, and now I fell in love, and it's a whole big thing. He's, he's, they've, they've piqued my attention because of him. Like, I have my pair, and I actually really like them. Like, the female I love, man. Every time I open that tub, I'm just, I'm blown away. It's such, and the fact that that's wild caught, you know, it's it's an import. It's like holy crap! Like I think that's that's the big appeal for a lot of people with Popwins is, uh, you know, just naturally you get all the variation, but then also, you know, you get ones that have a lot of red, you get ones that have a lot of the purplish look, you have you know the ones that are really bright with a lot of yellow, you have the ones that are super dark with a lot of black, you know, they like you can kind of do whatever you if 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 you like the darker stuff that's an option if you like the lighter stuff that's an option and, and there's no guarantee that that's what babies are going to look like you right know? who knows you know i think in the next seven to ten years between all of us and riley and burke and everybody who's got ijs some amazing animals are going to come out and it's it's going to blow us all away yeah my little males from riley and that thing it's going to be interesting because jake's I've been asking Jake about it, and I don't know if we talked about it on the show last time we recorded or not, but he was mentioning how that'll be kind of an interesting combo because the female's really light, but that male's probably going to be really dark. 
And he's like, you should totally get something that complements one or the other, not mix them. But I'm like, when I was breeding Cresteds, that was my favorite thing to do when I was breeding was take, you know, a gray female and pair it with an orange male and see what happens, you know. Yeah, man, roll the dice. Play in the wild card, you know. <clears throat> and uh, doesn't Billy have like 2.4 or something like that? Billy's got a ton. I don't even know how many Billy has. Okay. I just know it's a lot. Because yeah, he, he was showing me pictures a couple days ago at Carpet Fest, and dude, his IGs are screamers. Yes. Absolute screamers. He has a very good eye for talent as well. I'm totally stealing that, an eye for talent. Him and Jake are, <laughs> you know, between the two of them, like, holy crap. Honestly, even if we just kept them in our friend circle, man, we would have an amazing diversity of, of Poplin, you know, genetics. Just hoard them all, save them all. Oh, Keep yeah. posting pictures Trade of them and get it, drive everybody crazy. Oh, yeah. We're never going to release any. You can see them. We'll make them, them the new rough scale. Yeah. Me and Jake have already been talking about that. And you're like, oh, okay. When I produce these, we'll swap for that pair because I like that one over there. So when you produce some of that. That's the way it is, dude. Stuff. That's why, you know, Chondra stuff, like me and Luke and David talk a lot. And, you know, we, we're swapping animals when we want to. And it's like I pretty much went to him and was like, look, we're all going to be buying each other's stuff anyways. Why don't we just cut to the chase and just trade? <laughs> it's so true. I was like, what's the wire? Like, what are we doing here? Like, let's just... Let's just get it over with, because you know this is what's going to happen. It's like, just just swap them out. <clears throat> and you know, with all this talk that we're doing right now, and all of our friends that have poplins and everything, you know Burke's going to be the first one to pop out a melanistic one. It's going to piss all of us off. <laughs> it's not going to piss me off at all, because I want him to do that, because he's the closest to it. So he needs to hurry up and get that done. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> And if and if any carpet was gonna pop out jet black, you'd expect it to be them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially with those those really dark ones. Like Jake has some a pair. I think he has at least a pair of of really really dark animals. And I see those. Uh, I see those that that continuing. And then eventually, I think we're just gonna hit, like you said, just a completely black or damn near black animal. Yeah, it'll just have you know like a gray belly or like some gray undertones. Mm-hmm. Let me see. I'm, I'm awesome. digging up these pictures as we're going here. It is funny, man, because like I, I don't post pictures of the snakes too. Excuse me, the non-venomous stuff too often. And the other day, I was cleaning all the uh, carpet racks, and I was like, man, all these poplins are looking good. Let me take them out back in the sunlight and take some cell phone pictures. Mm-hmm. I, I hate taking pictures of a snake in my hand. I'm that guy. Like I hate doing that. But I put them up, man, and I was like, man, like not to pat myself on the back, but they look damn good. You know, I noticed uh, some other people, I guess, I don't want to say that I'm a trendsetter, but a couple other people posted their poplins too. Maybe it's just a coincidence. And uh, I was like, man, I love these freaking snakes. Well, I like them too because, I mean, even adults, adult females, you know, they're not massive. Like, I've I've seen Jake's and played with his, and they're about the same size as, like, a male Brettles would be. Just totally manageable. Like, if someone was like, I want a first snake, okay. I'd say get a male Brettles or just go get a poplin. You know, yeah, man, the baby the, uh, baby might be a little feisty, but after that, you know, they're 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 golden. Yeah, it's the uh, the condo python. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, I know I'm gonna potentially irritate some people and stuff like that because I also keep Darwin's. I have four Darwin's oh, right now. See, I have I, one three. I love nice. Darwin's though. Like Darwin's nice. are super underrated. 
I love um, those really like brickish looking Darwins that have like the black outline around the scales kind of look. Sharpie marker. Yeah. Like I it's uh it's hard to beat a really good looking Darwin too. Uh, are yours babies adults? What do you got? Uh they are two thousand seventeen sub adults. Hopefully next year or this well, this next winter. We'll wait and see kinda of what they look like. Cool. So uh, far, are they more of the traditional looking Darwin? Are they more lighter colored? Are they more darker? So the gentleman I got them from says he got them from Nick Mutton, but can't. So 2017 is the estimated year. It's one of those things that he says this is where he got his from was Nick Mutton. Um, I, I, I cannot guarantee that's where he got it from. Um, there are similar looking animals that look like they would produce from the 2017 year from Nick Mutton's site, it looks like. Um, so it's possible. But the guy himself did not inspire 100% confidence in that ability after the fact. I should say yeah, he, more than anything. He, he didn't have an invoice. Yeah, no, he did not. Yeah. Um, but there are uh, a, a pair of them. So I, one male I have is an albino. One of the females is an albino. Um, and the other two girls are head albinos. Cool. Um, so my plan with those is just kind of to, to rotate them through. I've got, you know, the three girls, which means I don't have a problem at all doing like maternal incubation um, and stuff like that. Just so my girls can guarantee have a year off. I don't have a problem putting one girl aside, let her regain all of her weight, mm -hmm. let her get perfect. And, but I've, cause I've got two other girls that I can pick which one I want to do this year. Nice. See, nice. and that's the only reason I haven't done that with Condros is because I only have my one adult female. And I was talking to uh, Clyde uh, Closet at Southeast Carpet Fest, and we were talking about it because he's done maternal. He did maternal way back in the day, like '90s. And uh, I told him I'd love to do it when I have more females, not necessarily to sacrifice, quote unquote, but like I don't want to ruin my one female that I'm that's yeah. breedable. <laughs> I'd rather have a backup at least or something. You know, so I definitely want to try it at some point, and I'm I'm so curious to see uh, sort of the difference as far as the babies go and stuff. Riley actually wrote a, a a maternal incubation article for the magazine that I haven't put in an issue yet that I really I need to go over and read and uh, check that nice. out because he did maternal with one of his jungles, and mm -hmm. and he didn't have any issues. It seems like everything came out pretty uh pretty aces as, as far as that goes. Awesome. Yeah. I listened to him talk about it on his carpets and coffee and stuff like that when he was doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and he talked about it several times and like it, like it a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was, it you. wasn't just like he was just the, he was just watching the female daily to see what, like he was legitimately taking notes, taking data, you know, the whole nine yards. He was taking temperatures every day, like twice a day. He was, he was really going about it the right way and really getting a lot of information out of it. <clears throat> and so far from what I've read um, the people who actually are keeping track of it mm -hmm. and keeping all those notes it looks like maternal incubation babies do better yeah simply that's what I've heard um, with balls and anteresia and you know, the babies come out bigger they come out stronger 
Plus, you get to watch mom do it all and the whole cycle of everything. It's, it's breathtaking. I mean, I'm sure it's boring at times, but uh, I think the whole process is just fascinating. Yeah, but can you imagine opening up, like, the lay box and, you know, with a chondro or something especially and seeing little chondro heads poking out of the eggs and mom just chilling there, you know, beehived up? That's the photo. That's know? Yeah, that's got to be, mm-hmm. like, freaking Jurassic Park, dude. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> it's it's funny you mentioned the albino Darwins. I am a I'm not a morph guy at all. And in fact, I'm kind of like I don't want to say I'm anti albino, but like albinos are definitely not for me. But the one albinos that I honestly am like afraid to say that I love is the Darwins. They're just it's just crisp colors, great patterning. You know, it's just it's not like a berm or a, or a ball python or anything. It's yeah, it's, it's a little just unique. It's well, just like brighter that's... overall. Yeah, yeah. There's also, just because I think it's carpets have a natural variability in themselves and already, the albino Darwin's variability on how much yellow, how much white, what banded stripes, everything that happens in that, mm-hmm. it's all over the board. And there's amazing animals across the entire spectrum. Oh, yeah. Even down to like the scalation and like the crypticness of the bands, if there is even bands at all, like mm-hmm. it doesn't just. You know, it, it's like the faded colors on the pop ones. It's just like the, the yellows and the whites and some of the pinks and stuff just kind of blend together. Yeah. And then awesome. every, everyone's going to get irritated with me when, you know, Nick Mutton and Justin Julander officially can come out and put in paper that pop ones and Darwins are the same species. Ooh, getting controversial now. Oh, yeah. See, I mean, what is your what's your opinion on that? Um, Do you agree with it, disagree with it? I will... I would not... I don't... I'm... How do I want to put this? I'm neither necessarily <laughs> a lumper or a splitter. Right. Um, I want to see what the science says. Mm-hmm. What is the standard, you know? And that's one of the biggest things that I see a lot of within the reptile community is there's not an exact standard of at what point... Do we officially right. are going to separate something or push it back together? Like, what's the threshold? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but isn't there rules on taxonomy in that in that capacity? Not really. No. No, because so I can't even remember. It was was it coastals and jungles are like four point eight or something like that percent different. Which is I that's a, I mean that's a decent number. amount. Like that's not a small number in terms of evolution. Like that's a pretty exactly. that's a pretty decent gap. Yeah. You know. And, you know, there's the discussion on whether or not they're going to be lumped together. Mm -hmm. When you look at humans and chimpanzees with, you know, a roughly 1% difference in genetics, we're obviously different. Yep. Yeah. I mean, what's going to be our threshold? And obviously mammals and reptiles are going to be completely, you know, they're different as in general anyways. But Mm -hmm. yeah. See, I would think that they would be, you know, Darwin's and Papuans would be pretty different because, I mean, if you think about it, the chondros in Australia and the chondros on Papua New Guinea are different. They're not, they're not, you know, one and the same by any means, but I would assume with my unscientific resume that they've been separated long enough to where there has to be some sort of divergence. Yeah. And there will be, and that's, that goes down to the very problem we were just talking about is is it enough divergence and who can make that call? But then, I think it would make the call. But just you would have to 
you would have to have some kind of microbial DNA study like uh, um, uh, Natush did and have the actual numbers on paper. You'd have to do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. That was his stuff. It's fantastic work. Yeah. I wish I could oh, just yeah. get a, like a complete – I want to see his notes and the complete research paper, all of his notes, and I just want to read it all. I'll have to send and, it to you because I have it. I've got I know it. I've read I found it's like my bits and pieces of it, but not. Yeah, no, I got the whole just... thing, dude. I got the supplement oh. paper too, the supplement material. Oh, oh, I want it. It's awesome. Yeah, that's cherry. You got to distribute that shit. Uh, well, I mean, see, at first they had it. You had to pay for it, and it was like forty bucks or something like that. But then he emailed it to a bunch of people, and I somehow managed to get on that list, probably because I met, emailed him at the right time about the podcast. Uh, and then some other people started sharing it around. So I don't know. At this point, it may not matter. But uh, well, I mean, crap! I'll pay the forty bucks and on Research Gate or whatever it is, I'll download it. Yeah, I yeah, got I don't it. Like know. I said, I'll it's in my, my yeah. it's in my email. I'll contribute. Um, cool. but it's like the I mean the same thing with Popwins and Darwins is like the same thing with Condros. Like if they are the same species, what does that change as far as how we're keeping them? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. You know, it just makes the same. Albino granites, legit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the personal agenda. But I'm I'm the same way. Like whatever the you know, I'm not the one out there in the fields doing the research. I'm not the one in the museums looking at wet specimens and you know doing scale counts and getting my hands on you know like I said live and preserved stuff. Like they're the ones doing the work. Mm-hmm. You know who am I to say if they're right or wrong? You know even if they spent five minutes in a natural history museum or something somewhere and we're like. Yeah, this one, uh, this one holotype's different from everything else, and that yeah, it's a different species. Like, I don't know. I just it it cracks me up, especially with a lot of the conjure guys. They just refuse to accept the fact that there's now all the different subspecies when their sample size of their knowledge is literally the size of their collection. Well, well, let me put it this way: Is it the fact that they refuse to accept the data and and the the nomenclature? Or is it that they're at the point now where they're like, listen, man, I've been hybridizing this crap forever. Probably a little point, bit of both. just American captives, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, that, I think to me, with Chondra specifically, like, even if that's the case, it doesn't change anything. Like, we still love, even if they're hybrids now, even though that's like a, you know, a, a dirty word. Uh, designers. It doesn't, so taboo. It doesn't change my opinion on them anymore. Like, I've got stuff that's probably hybrids. i got stuff that's definitely hybrids. I don't care. Yeah. Like yeah. they're, they're all awesome. Like they're all pretty. There's no such thing as an ugly chondro. You know, the labels and stuff that they put on these things, if you think about it in terms of like how we keep them, it's more so for the science end of things rather than us. Right, right. So it's like it really doesn't change how we're keeping anything. Uh I think people like people like labels. When I was in college, that was what my psychology professor was talking about. Like people have to have a label for everything. Absolutely. Nothing can I'm go unfiled. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm I, one like, of them. in that aspect, I understand. I get it. It's kind of frustrating where you're like, well, I had what I thought was a manaquari or whatever, and now it turns out that it's whatever species, subspecies from whatever co- uh, quadrant of the of the left side of the island is. But Right, but you think that those people would, if they are, like, I'm a taxonomy junkie. I mean, like, I'm I'm guilty as hell to the point where now I find myself studying classical Latin, you know, and figuring out how to do proper pronunciation of extinct diphthongs. You know what I mean? What a nerd. But if I was a chondro guy that was so in-depth and I was upset for whatever reason that they were not the species or not the specimens that I thought they were, 
it's still awesome because now I definitively know this is actually this. I can put my label on the tank or in my notebook with pride knowing that this is really this, you know? Yeah, but yeah. That, that goes back to Condros. I'm of the opinion that when it comes to imports, you're never going to be 100% certain on what you have is what you actually have. Like, there's always going to be oh, a course. degree of uncertainty. So, like, could yeah. I slap a label on something and say it was, you know, the Pulker subspecies? Yeah, but do I actually know that it's fully Pulker? Or was there something thrown in at a farm or wherever? Uh, right, right. Yeah. You know, down the line that I just don't know about because I mean, it was yeah. interesting talking to Natush on the Chondrocast. He said, you know, you can have these ranges overlap, but you really don't see a lot of hybridization naturally, which is interesting because right. you see that in dart frogs too. Like you have all the different Ranatomea imitator species in the same sort of areas, even though they look completely different, they're not hybridizing that they, you know, at least on any sort of large scale. I think it comes down to, with, especially with the dart frogs, is that. If there is a, a a staple population of one species or one subspecies, there's almost no need to have an integrate because, you know, if 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 you want to marry a girl from your hometown and there's only two girls and there's a million guys and well, hey, you might want to go look at Pacta and you know go on a date with a girl from another town, but if the ratios are equal, why would you? You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, uh, like not to snap back into my famous geckos, uh. The Wheeler Eye, which had two subspecies, uh, now there's a new paper out that my friend Elliot from Queensland sent me, basically declaring that they are their own species. And I've, I haven't neglected to read it because I don't want to know the truth. I just have been <laughs> lazy and haven't got around to it. But I think it's funny because the people were already, the people in the industry, in the pet world, were already calling them as if they were independent species. You know, nobody wants to say the whole word out. They just say, oh, it's a synctus or, oh, it's a Wheeler Eye. You know, and you knew which was which. Right. So I feel like with them, they may not. It has nothing to do with maybe being more accepting. It's more like, oh, we were already calling that anyway. You know. And that's how it was in Condros for a very long time. People have been fairly certain that, you know, the Highland types are probably fairly genetically different from Beox. You know, obviously Beox are like eleven percent different from everything else. But I mean, it's always been a suspicion in Condros that. There's got to be more than two species, you know. There's, right. they can't be nearly as cut and dry as there's southerns and there's northerns. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it's yeah. it's similar in that regard. Everyone kind of suspected it, and when that paper came out, everyone, you know, everyone that kind of thought that was like, yep, that suspicion's confirmed, you know. Well, and I, I don't know. For me, that was easy. Beox look different. They just look different. Yeah. Yeah. It's obvious can... with those. And that yes. was uh, even when I really started looking into like the green tree pythons a few years back when I was like really actually starting to like read about them a lot and stuff like that. Um, just to read to me, the first two things that like popped out was there was, there was the green tree python and there were beox. Mm-hmm. Those were my initial, just like looking at them. Like these are obviously different. Now what's different about these and going to the northerns and southerns and stuff like that and seeing what subtle differences are there. And what I'm actually curious about with Beox especially is, so that island uh, was never landlocked. It was never, it was, there was never a land bridge to that island. That island is, was like created of its own volition. Uh, So it's not like green trees crossed a land bridge, stayed there for however many thousands of years, and then water rose and cut them off. 
like they got there via drift or uh, like naturally. Um, and I wonder if that kind of thing where there w- isn't a land bridge like there used to be between Australia and Papua New Guinea, if that sort of not necessarily expedites the process of them being that different, but maybe if that plays a role in why they're they it makes them so different compared to everything else. And wasn't that you saying something about how there's very little avian predation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't need to blend in. Yeah. Um, but let's, yeah. I want to get into, to caging stuff, man. Cause this is why we're oh, here. Yeah. You know, yeah. most definitely. What, what made you decide to start building cages? What and, made me decide to start building cages was selling them. I bought, I bought lots of animals. That's what made me decide to start building cages. It's a good uh, reason. Yes. Uh, my first cages that I started to build were garbage. Um, I think the first eight-foot cage I built for, uh, I built like three of them because we, one of, I think it was like, my like fifth snake I bought was an adult female retic. Yeah. You know, which probably wasn't, a, again, wasn't very smart back then but but it was fun yes it was um and so i built three eight foot cages and built them out of melamine um personal opinion is that's not a great material to work with that's my personal opinion some people love it and if you do it right i can see how it'll work just fine um but my opinion is it's garbage. <laughs> Never uh, use melamine with venomous, FYI. Why? Because it deteriorates and you will have a loose snake. Oh, yes. yeah. Any moisture um, that hits that stuff, man, it just explodes. Yes. yes. No, it's cool. I'll just keep misting it down. It's fine. It loves the humidity. <laughs> so, yeah, my first gauges were melamine with mesh fronts for the doors which again turned out to be a horrible idea because I didn't know what I was doing at all. Mm-hmm. And that retic pushed right through that mesh, <laughs> mesh fence. Uh, like Your the screen day. cannot contain me. Yeah. Um, and that, that was a fun sight because I had a Husky at the time and opened the door and I just see my dog on one side <laughs> going, of oh shit, oh the shit, living dad, room. Dad, and he, you could tell he's, he's like, <laughs> In that dog's head, because the dog liked to hunt stuff, yeah. it was like, I want to get it, but it's big. And so I'm like, what are you doing? And I look at the other side, and there's that snake just pissed off, and that was a 16-foot animal that I had to wrangle, and that was fun. Said, Dad, nice. this, this one's pretty big. This isn't like the ones in the yard. Yeah. 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 What the hell? <laughs> but... um. Yeah, I don't want to say those first cages. I moved them, I think on the third time I moved them around the house, they fell apart. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. So, you know, for for me building cages, I learned the hard ways on not just doing your standard butt joint, you know, not just a piece against another flat piece against a flat piece. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't really care for doing it that way in some situations. It just happens to work out being the best way to do it if you're doing some, you know, custom designs, but it's 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 not effective. See, I would uh, totally it's not, integ- it's not integrally sound. I would no. totally be building my own 
but I'm not that smart. And I'm one of those people where I'll measure like once and cut a million times. <laughs> I'm just yep. not, I'm not savvy at that, that stuff. My dad's an engineer and so he can do that all day long, but I did not inherit that gene from him. So for me, I mean, I have an interest in woodworking and so, and that's kind of what put me into that interest of woodworking was I tried to build cages. They were horrible. Let me go actually try to figure out how to do this stuff the right way. Um, you know, and even to this day, some of the stuff that I build, I'll make a cut and I'll have what's called a dado. If people don't know, that's like a channel that I have used a router to put a channel inside of like the side panel. Yeah. And I'm going to put this shelf is going to slide into this channel, giving it a much higher, um, as we put it, structural integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will use a hand plane like to this day sometimes i'll use a hand plane nice. to make sure that fit is where it needs to be so i'm shaving you know what probably comes down to you know one 130 seconds of an inch or something like that off at a time just to get it to where it slides in and there's not a lot of gap and there's not many cage makers out there who can legitimately say that their cages are hand fitted and you can Yes. Um, and that's something that I've done. I mean, that, that's just in the end, that's the way I've gone. And so in, on all of my cages, if you look at some of the pictures I've posted, you'll notice around the edge, there's a, a lip that's called a rabbit is what they call that. So there's that rabbiting lip around the edge that of my bottoms and my tops, and then my sides and backs and front face all sit in that lip. And so it gives it again more than just a but just that flat joint. It gives it some more contact, more integrity. Um, and then something I learned along the way is silicone is a standard in our mm-hmm. wonderful world. Let's just put a bead of silicone around it. Silicone deteriorates, it lifts up, it it goes away, and then all of a sudden you get a spilled water bowl. Yeah, and, you've got a tank leaking like crazy. Yeah, it drives me nuts. Um, and so I, I used, still back in the day, I still, I started, went from uh, melamine to high grade plywoods, um, like cabinet, high quality cabinet grade quality plywood. Um, that's what I built the majority of my cages back in the day out of. Um, and then I would use uh, waterproof wood glue in between all those joints. And unless I legitimately, I mean, then, then I would go and use at the time I used epoxy. I would put an epoxy paint on the inside. You have to let it cure for several days. I usually let it sit out there for a week and get all those fumes out. As soon as it's cured, anything bad is inert and no longer can harm your animal. Yeah. And, you know, still at points at some point moving it around epoxy can still crack. And if you end up with a crack, that waterproof waterproof wood glue mm-hmm. was another barrier, right? You know, for that water not to be able to seep out. Um, today I use PVC, the PVC sheets that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I use now, and I use you know a chemical solvent that is physically melting the plastic together. So 
all of my cages theoretically are one big piece of plastic in the end. Oh, wow. Awesome. That awesome. is awesome. So, and that's actually two days ago, I water tested um, a four by two by two that I built. Mm-hmm. I put two inches of water in it. Um, when I, cause I get, I work nights. So I got home from work. I put two inches of water in it and I went to sleep and then woke up, just let it sit there, went back to work. The next morning came back. There was no leaks in that thing across the bottom at all. So you have no worries if that animal spills its water dish yeah. that that's going to leak out. Mm-hmm. And that that's the, those are a pet peeve of mine at a long, those are my goals. I don't, that shouldn't have to be that way. Cause people have their stuff sitting on their carpet in their house. Oh, yeah. You don't want that to ring down. And then you get weird stains in your carpet and then your wife gets mad and starts yelling <laughs> at you. Or better yet, if you're in an apartment or a condo and let's say you have like a blood python, you use like a lot of people like myself, I use kitty litter pans. So I have a mm-hmm. kitty litter pan filled with water and that snake leans up against the side of the cage just right, and that whole pan of water spills out, and it goes all over the carpet. Now the drywall's wet. Yeah. Get, you know, South Florida mold. and yeah. Worst case, you start getting mildew and stuff on the carpet, you know, between the carpet and the under the cage, and you don't know it. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I could see it. Like, yeah. especially if you're renting or something like that, it could really, really yeah. not be fun. Exactly. Then you got to pay for the carpet when you move out. Yeah. That's no fun. No security deposit for you. Um, and are you I mean, doing that on the racks though too? The the chemical stuff. So I don't do that on the racks, um, because there's no need to because there's a tub in there and the tub cannot tip. Yeah, you're right. And right. unless that was a stupid question. Put, <laughs> yeah, and unless because I know some people put their uh, ventilation holes in their tubs, they put them real low. If you put them too low, then yeah, you can run the risk of it leaking out. Um, but that should. Uh, you know, in air quotes here, never happen. Right, right. In a perfect that world. Never... Yes. Um, <clears throat> so I don't do that. And then, you know, and that's for business-wise, it's made it very difficult because I'm still, like, trying to find best options for shipping these things. Right. Um, and how to go about doing that. And in the end, there's a reason why a lot of cage manufacturers don't do the things, you know, they don't chemically bond them together and stuff Mm -hmm. like that to ship them because the difference between shipping a, you know, flat packet, you know, all broken down and then someone has to put it together when they get it is, you know, 50 to $75 Mm -hmm. to ship it flat packed versus $350 sometimes to ship it fully intact. Yeah. I mean, reptile basic ships, they don't ship their racks boxed but they do ship their cages in like together because jake has ordered a few and i don't i've always wondered just how like you are paying for shipping but it's fairly inexpensive so i i don't know i, I don't know how they do it but so the whole I've the whole talked... like rack and caging side of things just kind of amazes me because it's like how does one decide like that's that's their that's their thing that's where they're gonna be So, how did I arrive to me wanting to actually start a business well, no, and like, become what, official? Or? What were you going to say before that? I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Well, I say I actually last week. Last week, I talked to um, FedEx mm-hmm. and UPS, their representative, business representatives, and stuff like that, trying to figure out, you know. And I was pretty blunt with them. I was like, "How does this company, you know, do yeah, this? Yeah. How how do they ship through you? Right, right. Pay half the cost that I have to pay." 
You know, how does that happen? How do I get to that goal? And basically it more or less comes down to they've been working with them for so long and have done so much business with them. They give them the discounts. Yeah, of course. And that makes sense. It takes, it takes time to get there. Yeah. Um, which is one of the reasons why companies like ship your reptiles has come, come up is because now it's a collective account mm -hmm. that everyone can use and benefit from those discounts. Yeah. I remember back in the day when visions were super popular. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, no offense to your trade. I'm a vision whore. Pardon my he, French. He really and, is. Uh, I've got, I've got visions that are just sitting there because I know one day I'll need them or they're good for a resell or whatever. But I remember back in the day uh, when visions couldn't be found on Craigslist, so to speak, uh, we would all pool money together and pay for the pallet. You know, and it's like, oh, I yeah. need two two footers and Bob needs two TV size and Sally needs three three foots. Well, it's a whole pallet is going to cost us, you know, twenty two hundred dollars and somebody's got to bring a pickup truck to you mm -hmm. know the airport to pick it up or whatever. But that's just how we did it. Now we have the luxury of someone like yourself who's taking the initiative to find the right, you know, logistics person or logistics company and, and get it door to door reasonable. I love it. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal is to be able to do that. And, you know, I've talked to several people um in the past couple of weeks who are like, you know, how much is shipping? And I'm, I'm pretty straightforward with people on, this is my cost. This is, you know, I can get you an estimate on shipping and stuff like that, that it is now you tell me what you want. I can send it to you flat packed. It's not going to have these features that I normally would offer. Um, but shipping costs is sure. They're just shipping costs. So they are kind of what they are right now for me. Um, and I have told several people and reached out to, you know, several other cage manufacturers and be straight with them and be like, Hey, these guys are 50 miles from you. You know, I've already talked to them. You can go to them and save the $80 shipping on a flat back, on a flat packed cage and yeah. buy one that's put together. I've talked to them. They're aware you're going to call, you know, because money's an issue for people. And, you know, when they're trying no. to fit within their budget, it's, it is what it, it is. is. And I don't have a problem with that. This is your competitor or no? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I contacted noble. a competitor. I yeah. don't have a problem with that at all. Right. I mean, we're all in this together. Exactly. You know, I, there are several cage manufacturers that I probably wouldn't reach out to just because I, I follow a lot of people and I kind of watch and look and I, I, I sneak around and, I, and I'm looking at quality cages. Um, and there are several that are high quality cages. Um, but they ship in two boxes and you get those boxes delivered on two separate days. That would be annoying. It is. <laughs> I lived it. Um, but I don't Justin's have a problem. Very upset with that. I am, you know, I'm taking that with me to the grave. It's fine. You're allowed I'm to. I'm holding on to that grudge. And now you have a new cage provider. That's right. Oh, yeah. And I, now I have a rack that I still have to buy $75 <laughs> in tubs for. And my rack is just sitting in the yes. corner of the kitchen. Um, on that note, not to not to try and you know do that. I got to do what I got to do to try and figure it out. When you got your racks, how were they packaged? Because I pur I purchased one reptile basics rack that was back in 2010, mm -hmm. and I was not impressed with the way they packaged it. Mine was flat with a bunch of styrofoam that got everywhere. And then it was like saran wrapped 
together in pieces, and the instructions were there, and I somehow managed to get it together without ruining it. There were a few times where I think I actually, I, there's, a, there's a broken screw. I, I think I told you about that. Like, I broke one yes. of the screws off into the rack. <laughs> it somehow managed to put another one in there without it pushing the other one, like, out and through. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I was kind of amazed. Because I, I was putting it together, and then I picked it up, and, like, it was, when I was putting the ends on, I picked it up from the middle, and both those ends kind of, like, bowed out a little bit, and one of those screws just, like, snapped. Yeah, see, because uh, I'm an that, idiot. That would, not an idiot, they just have tiny screws. They're screws that are too thin. And that's an opinion of mine. Well, it was not also, that it's wrong, it, was it like, looks fine. Some, like, bullshit, like, cheap aluminum coated with, I guess, like, tin foil or something, because they just, it just broke. Yeah. Uh, Sean, how many are, are, I know you said you use the, the bonding agent to mend the PVC together, but do you use any actual fasteners or is it all just kind of adhesive? So I use both. I am, and that may come from the woodworking days of mine, where they say glue and screw everything mm-hmm. right. to give it strength. I use screws too. So I, I, and every one of my cages and you can see it and stuff like that. If you look at some of my pictures, you'll see wood clamps. So I'm clamping those things together. I'm applying that pressure for that. And while it's clamped together, nice and firm, I'm putting screws into it. So it's awesome. holding it there and it can ensure that there's a proper bond there and that it can do what it needs to do. All right. So I'll be that weirdo and I'll ask the, the pivotal question. Mm-hmm. What kind of screws are we talking? Torx bit, Phillips head, flathead. Oh, we get some fancy. woodworking guys. Well, no, there's some woodworking guys that are legitimately like you have to use this particular type of screw for this particular poplar and then there's other metalworking guys that are like no don't use a phillips head because the point of the actual phillips head is thinner where the actual head meets the shaft of the screw and that's how you snap heads off so i have read articles on i've read lots of articles on what screws to use and stuff like that um and in my opinion it really comes down to what thickness of screw you're using. Um, and I have tested throughout the years a bunch of them. I use standard drywall screws for PVC. Because okay. the threads on them are for a soft material. They're made right. to go through drywall. Yeah. And PVC is a soft material. So if you actually have too many threads on your screw it'll actually rip out that plastic easier yeah you'll just make a channel oh yeah Yeah. that makes sense so i use drywall screws they're thick they're hard to break um and they're standard phillips head i don't agree with going with you know star heads or torx heads because the average person who all they have is the most basic hand tool set Mm -hmm. is going to have a hard time they right. have to go buy and now buy a special bit just to do this. Yeah. I try to accommodate those things. I try to think about those things. And then drywall screws are readily available. Oh, yeah. They're um, strong. They're, they don't, I've never had one break um, on wood because I've used them in wood too. Um, on some MDF and stuff like that, they work well. Um, but I've never had them break in anything, so I don't have that issue. Mm-hmm. Cool. Good to um, know. In, in, when it comes to screws, the worst thing that I am having a problem finding 
are white tipped or like white head screws look decent in a white pvc Mm -hmm. you know so like as of right now i just use the same screws and then i have little uh pvc stickers Mm -hmm. so they're they're thick good stickers they're not just cheap little 50 cent things and i put them over it so it blends in right it doesn't Um, look like the fake wood pattern like from ikea no, it, it, they're, they are yeah. PVC. They are PVC. So the same material that I'm using, you know, can you still see them? Of course you can, but it's better than looking at a bunch of black dots. In the see, side that of the doesn't cage. bother me. Like, yeah. That always kind of cracks me up how, how serious people take, like, the aesthetics of a rack. And I'm like, it would drive I'm not, crazy. like, if I'm using a rack, I'm not, I don't have it there to be pretty. I have it there to function. <clears throat> but I've, oh, I'm struggling. I've always been more of a functionality over aesthetics kind of guy anyways. I, Just I look at my car and you'll take, see it. I would take white out and I would go up to each screw head and oh. I would dab a slight bit of white on every single one because seeing those little silver dots would drive me crazy. Yeah. And so that's... <laughs> the problem I have with the, you know finding white screws is I can find them, but they're, you know... Fifteen dollars for twenty of them. Wow! Hell no! You know, and yeah. and that's and I'm like, oh my goodness, because I I'll admit I I use probably more screws than I truly need to, but because that's because I want it to hold together. I don't want it to have a weak spot. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you don't know what the material they're using to coat the metal is, and you could put the driver in, and all of a sudden it scratches and silver anyway. Yeah, and that's just it. Is the vast majority of them are just painted white it's just yeah. the paint over the yeah. top of it yeah um and so it it does it does drive me nuts and i wish i can and i've and you know i'm sure i'll never stop looking for a decent supply of them oh of course um but yeah and they're not readily available they're not my home depot my lowe's my ace my woodworking specialty store none of them carry white tip screws wow none of them hmm. drives me well, insane that's actually a good segue, if I may ask one more question. Uh, why did you choose white PVC? So I personally like white. It, it is a natural um, way to make your inside of your cage brighter mm-hmm, uh, right. without necessarily having to add lights to it. Um, so you know, even like here in my house, I have my little basement is now my little area. There is enough natural light in the day that comes in that I can see inside of that cage and I can see everything going on without having any additional lights inside of there. There's no addition. There's no reason to add that additional layer if I don't want it or need to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whereas if I run a stack of black cages, if it's not facing the window to get the light in through the door, it's it's dark and I have a hard time seeing inside of it. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, that's, I just, that's kind I of my. I think like a lot of people get weirded out because of the whole you can see the dirt, you can see the poo, mm-hmm. you know. Yes, and you see everything, um, and I don't so. Again, I know other people have said it. It was one of the reasons that I like white was Ben Renick. Renick. Mm-hmm. His facility, if you look at some of his old pictures and videos and stuff like that, is looks like a lab. Like just everything is crisp, clean, fresh, white, and it looks great. 
Mm-hmm. I like yeah. the way white looks. Don't get me wrong. I like black cages too. You know, and I offer both. I have black PVC. I've got a stack of it sitting downstairs right now. Cool. Um, I just have been on a white PVC kick. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people are actually going to white because maybe it wasn't offered to them in the past, or maybe they just didn't notice it because, you know, the cage, the cage builders who bring them to the shows and stuff, they always have black, you know, black is just mm-hmm. uniform in that capacity. But I'll tell you, going to carpet fest this past weekend and seeing all of Cody and Pete's stuff and half the, I would say maybe two thirds of their enclosures that are some kind of display enclosure they're all white and they're gorgeous yeah now granted mm-hmm. i'm sure they take a lot of pride and a lot of time in keeping that white clean and crisp but it just looks so so great mm-hmm. well especially yeah. when you have a light in there that's that's just making them even brighter oh yeah because that white's just now, reflecting all of that you know and those nice cool blue leds that we have now and mm-hmm. just it, it just augments everything so and, and if you look at cage builders virtually none of them offer white as a standard yeah if you look at the, the ones that actually go and have websites and stuff like that, um, the bigger ones usually offer it, but no one advertises it. Yeah. You know, if you happen to have a little drop down menu, you'll see, oh, look, they have white. You know, it's and that's like the only place you're going to see Buried in the options somewhere. You got to like really look yeah. for it. Um, and like you said, no one, I've never seen a white cage at a reptile show. Yeah. It's, it's few and far between. Yeah, I mean, is that just a matter of like availability? Like, is it easier to get your hands on black PVC over white? Not for me. For me, it's it's easier probably to get white. Huh. Interesting. Anytime I make an order, it's if I have an issue with the number I want, the the quantity, it's with black. Wow. Because the place that I order from, that's you know local to me, they don't stock black as much. Interesting. Yeah. Always have white on hand. And I think one of the reasons why I was always hesitant to white was again, going back to my famous vision cages, I have a three foot vision. That's somebody gave me years ago. That was one of the original white ones. And the plastic is, I don't want to say it's thinner, but whatever material it is that they're using to make that old school vision, it was almost translucent when the light hit it. Mm -hmm. And over the years it yellowed yellowed real bad just from uv from the lighting in the room or the window or whatever actual uv lights for the animals and i was like man that cage looks like pea yellow it's gross let me just stick to the gray one it looks like a neodesia almost it almost is neodesia you know amber yellow color so i think that kind of was a deterrent but now i see these white pvc and i see how it is uv resistant and it stays Mm -hmm. that nice crisp white color i'm all about it so if i can recall correctly vision uses hdpe as their plastic it's high density polyurethane and when exposed to uv that's what changes the color is that why they went to gray um yes okay is you're not going to get the color change in gray um and i'm sure it's a lot less obvious if it if it does yeah yeah almost definitely um but hdpe is notorious for turning colors um when I was an electrician, we used it um, on some of our fields, and that definitely always happened within six months of it. You know, because it'd be outside and stuff like that. Right. Oh, within yeah. six months, they were it was it was yellowish. Yeah. Um, that's just what happened. But I could run a thousand feet of PVC pipe, and it would never change. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, it's always white. 
always way. So as far as what you like, what are you offering right now in terms of what you're like, what you're building? Um, so my standard set for racks that I have right now is vision tubs mm-hmm. because I like vision tubs. I think the quality of the tub is better than your standard Sterilite and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They make them thicker. They don't break as easy if you drop them and it lands on that corner. Um, you know, just right. Doesn't snap it as easy. Um, and then it gives me a uniform pattern for my my racks as well. Yeah. Those will be my standard line. Another thing I like is for hatchling racks, I can use the V15. I can have a slot that'll house three V15 three V15 tubs, or I can take those out and put two V18 tubs in it. Nice. Or I can take those out and have one of the V35S tubs all that fit in that same spot. That's awesome. Yeah, that modular thing, I think that's that's really gotten a lot more popular over the years, you know, being able to not have to buy a separate rack when things start getting bigger, you know, and just mm-hmm. being able to adjust as necessary. Yes. Let me ask, on the smaller racks, do you have, or even on the bigger ones too, I should say, is there any kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, is there any kind of like support beam in the middle or is there any kind, or just the tubs themselves hold it up? Because I've had some issues in the past where, I I changed tubs to a bigger size or whatever, and I got more bowing out of the shelves than I did when I had two tubs or what have you. So in my experience, that doesn't happen typically very often on like a a single or the the smaller racks that are thinner. Right. But when you do, because I've seen racks where people will do two of the, uh, equivalent like 28 quarts and they'll do too wide right and when as soon as you go too wide it's because of the nature of racks unless you make it again wider and add an actual divider in there to support them they will bow over time and here's here's my caveat is that i neglected to say that in each drawer is probably four to five pounds of sand (laughs) that that will probably change things a bit i know (laughs) that would also affect that I figured I'd just throw that in there. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, and I've looked at some, like for my personal use and stuff like that, building like a massive rack just so I can have for myself. And it'd be three wide, you know, 10 tall. It's just a huge thing that I could do. And yeah. in thinking about it, I would have to put dividers in it just to give it support because I know it's going to bow. And as soon right. as it starts bowing, it's going to be, you're going to have those random shelves that are just going to be horrible to pull it out and push it back in. Right. And then you got to buy shims and stuff gets loose. And yeah, no point. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, man, like with, you know, I did a, a fair bit of shopping around cause I need an arboreal rack for the, what I call the in-betweeners, the condros that are too big for the six quarts, but too small for anything larger than like maybe 30 quarts. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed at the fact that there was, like, I, I checked everywhere. Anyone that made a cage, I looked. And no one is really offering something dedicated to, like, something with deeper tubs like that. Uh, like a 16? No, like, I'm, uh, like, for the ones that I have that are that odd size that aren't in the rack, they're in, like, a 20 to 29 quart tub. 
okay. individually with a with a ultratherm pad, pretty much HVAC taped to the back. Okay. Which I don't really like. You know, it's not super efficient, but I was just I was like, why is no one like this is something that I know Condro people need, and people like to ball out and get the the Cambro tubs, uh, which the Cambro tubs are cool and all, but they're they ain't cheap. Uh, no sir. You know, so it's like no one's offering a regular model for that. So that's why, like, when I was talking to you about all that stuff, Sean, you know, it's like, I'm like, yeah. I, I even mentioned it to a few people, like, hey, no one's really making an arboreal rack that people could just buy. Like, everything has to be custom when it comes to that kind of stuff. And to me, when I see custom, I think, okay, I'm going to be paying more, you know, because it's, it's going to require, it's not something that they it's can custom. just, like, yeah, it's custom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So on that note, and I talked to you about it, is the last time I remember seeing anything for a boreal species was uh, Papanetto. And that last time I saw it was like 2008 or 2009. Mm-hmm. That was the last rack I ever saw that was a boreal and no one does offer it. And that's part of my plans is to offer those things. Yeah. Because it's you can, as much as some lizard people and stuff like that may not agree and stuff like that, but if you've got a bunch of baby crested geckos, it's an option. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, no, I mean, oh, like, I'm... not even just for chondras. Like the what I was talking to you about, you know, I could I would use that for boiga. I would use that for amazons. Yeah. I would use that for you know emeralds. Like, it has way more applications than just green trees. But like, I'm a I'm a back heat guy. I know a lot of people like belly heat. I prefer back. Uh, and it's just I was I was amazed. I was like nobody like why is nobody doing this? Like there's there's more chondro people out there now than ever. And I don't like I was like why is this not a thing? So I was excited yeah. to talk to you about that because I was like you can yeah. be the guy. And I totally plan on it. And actually, I'm messing around with the tubs that I got for you mm-hmm. in a couple different configurations. So that I'm 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 working up. A bunch of different configure like do i you know can i do single stacks high can i do you know yeah. two wides how what can i do with that because the tub in particular that we, we you know we selected or you selected mm-hmm. for that um is skinny enough that so far too wide is not creating any issues with bowing and stuff like that oh good it's it's not creating that issue yeah. that i'm seeing and i've been messing around with that yeah, and I mean, you do heat tape on all the racks, but are you planning on doing, like, including heat panels with the cages or anything like that? Is that going to be, like, an option? or? So it is um, an option that I can provide. Um, a, I have talked to Reptile Basics, mm-hmm. and our conversation went, basically, I'm not allowed to be a vendor for them yet because I do not have an official brick-and-mortar store oh. yet. So, um, as of right now, um, on my cages, standard is going to be recessed heat tape. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the standard. And if you want a cage for me and you want a radiant heat panel, I've been telling people that if you choose Reptile Basics, I can provide it. Um, And instead of installing the heat tape, it's virtually, you know, the same amount of time for right. me to drill an extra hole and mount that heat panel up. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't cost you anything different except for the cost of the panel, which the unit I'm itself. not, 
Right. Yeah, I'm not gonna, and I'm not gonna charge you more than because I'm I'm gonna pay retail for it. Right. And I'm not gonna make you pay me more than retail for something. I just don't. I personally disagree mm-hmm. with that. So yeah. you know, but it takes me the same amount of time to mount a panel as as it does it take me to route out a small section in the bottom of the thing. So I could just do one or the other, whatever it is. Um, and then with and then I reached out to Pro Products. Yep. And they do theirs. Um, Pro Products is insane when it comes to radiant heat panels. I think they have 250 options for heat panels. Oh, I'm sure. Wow. Yeah, because if you want to get a hold of them, like you have to email them what size you're yes. using, like all that stuff, which is kind of the only reason I haven't used them. Uh, yes. Just because that whole thing is like, man, I just want like I, I just want to order a damn panel, you know. And it's because so all of their stuff is. They they if you want a radiant heat panel and you don't know much about it, mm-hmm. contact Pro Products. Right. They will ask you every single question and they will get you the right panel for your room setup, for your cage setup, for your animal. They're amazing. Yeah. And with Pro Products, if that's when something someone chooses to go through them, they contact them and Pro Products will actually just drop ship the panel straight to me mm-hmm. so I can install it. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, and so that's another option. Um, I also have worked up, uh, basic ceramic, little ceramic, uh, bulb. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it right now. Brain just went out. Uh, but yeah, so like you could put, you know, ceramic heat emitters and stuff yeah, inside yeah. of that. If that's what like you a, want. Like a fixture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fixture. Jeez. Oh, okay. I forget that word. It's <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let me ask um, you, uh, have you have you any kind of locking mechanism if there was someone that wanted to do venomous or maybe had small kids that are nosy and want to open drawers and stuff? So if you came to my house right now and looked at all of the random latches and stuff that I am purchasing, <laughs> yeah, because I'm I'm trying to find the right ones. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've I have well Phil's the guy to Phil's the guy really he's, like. he's the brain to pick on that. I'll tell you, the one thing that I, I I hate using, and I absolutely hate it, I despise it, but it works like a million bucks, is when they have the long vertical stick that slides in front of the rack, and it basically blocks every single drawer from being open. Yeah, and like Pia and Cody had on that on their yeah, racks. And yeah, and I mean, the ones that they had on those uh, those one white racks with the uh, Cambro tubs mm-hmm. that had like, the death adders in them, Whatever that it wasn't a it wasn't like a stick or a cylinder. It was almost like a rectangle. It was like, like a, a track. Cube. Yeah, like a yeah. It was like a track. Yeah, it's that strange. was brilliant. But at the same time, although that works like a million bucks, it's a pain in the neck, man. And then you can't just open. You can't just do one drawer like right. you want to check one mm-hmm. snake. You have to take the whole thing out. You have to unlock it with the key. You know, obviously, if it's venomous, you're gonna have key locks to some extent. But mm-hmm. I, I also think about like I have friends that have small children and. They've mm-hmm. got like you know red tail boa babies that they that they bred, and it's like wow, there's another red tail out because little Johnny got curious and started opening drawers. So, I've actually looked into that for locks for racks, um, and I don't like the stick straight down in the front idea. Yeah, I think it's ugly as hell. Yeah, um, and so I've found and I have not yet purchased any yet, um, but it's a basically like a cylinder and it's a keyed cylinder i can route it in 
And so I can inset it on the shelf above, inset it into that shelf. Oh, and so when yeah. it's locked, it'll actually, you push it, physically push it, and it'll push down into the space below. Brilliant. And then you could put your key in there, unlock it, pop it up, and now you can pull that single tub out. So, all right, just so just so we can paint a picture for the listeners. So essentially, you're going to have a key on the the side or the top of each individual tub. When you push the little lock in, a little panel flips down to prevent the drawer from being opened. And then when you put a key in and turn it, it latches back up and the actual key socket pops back out. Yeah, so the whole mechanism is a plate with a little cylinder on it. And that cylinder houses your, your key housing unit. Mm-hmm. Right. And that key housing unit basically moves up and down. Okay. And so when you push it down, you lock it down. And as soon as you unlock it, it just pops up. Okay. And so it'll it'll actually sit in the shelf. Of, so if I want to unlock tub A or tub B, the lock for tub B is sitting on is actually going to be inside the shelf of tub the bottom shelf of tub A, the bottom okay. that what okay. tub A sits on. And then and essentially be, tub A's will be on top of the rack. Yes. Okay. I mean that awesome. would be irritating if you built a really tall rack because you got to get a step ladder just to go to the yeah. top to unlock that, but. <laughs> Yeah, but if you're doing Venomous, you're not going to have it on a top rack. But I see your point. I've seen videos of people having <laughs> taller than them, okay? Yeah, yeah. Guys with black mamas on top of the yep. refrigerator, I get you got it. got Westerns right at the very top. Yeah, yep. Making life really difficult for themselves. Yep. Step stool <laughs> and all. But that actually sounds brilliant because that's the more uh, – one of my friends is, is very heavily into Asiatic arboreal vipers, and he's kind of got me on the bandwagon, and I'm actually looking at getting a couple things in the near future. And I kind of want to set them up almost like a chondro rack, mm-hmm. you know, and it's and the, my biggest concern is that fish and wildlife is going to be on my butt about how is that thing locked, and I don't want to have to drill a hole in the top and slide a wooden dowel through it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So if there, so I, I would have no problem paying a little extra crap, even a lot extra for independent locking mechanisms that I don't have to unlock all of them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and looking around, they're not horribly expensive. Um, you know, they're anywhere. And that, that's just it. It's ordering multiple brands, trying to figure out which ones are actually quality. Right, which um, ones aren't going to snap on you after 15 uses? Mm-hmm. Exactly, because uh, there you can get cheap ones for like two bucks, you know, a lock. And but then you see the majority are sitting right around four to five dollars. Anytime okay. you see something that's half the price than the majority, it's probably not that good. I mean, those showcase locks that we use for the visions. I mean, some of them, like the ones that are adhesive, are a little cheaper because they're they're actually a plastic unit. But like those metal display cabinet locks, where the, the lock slides mm-hmm. on the uh, the the plate with the little teeth on it. Yep. Yep. I think Home Depot used to sell them. They were like ten, eleven bucks. So I mean, if it if it costs me an extra sixty or eighty dollars for the peace of mind to have a, a six slot or a ten slot arboreal rack and know that I can independently unlock individual tubs, that's worth the money hand over fist. Definitely. And I would agree. <laughs> um, yeah. But, I mean, that's just – and that's why I've got 82 million latches here as it is now trying to figure all this stuff out. Right. Um, you know, different colors, different styles. He's he's yeah, his I'm own really... R&D department. Pretty much. Yeah. I was actually going to ask, too, is when we were talking about, like, Cambro tubs and stuff – have you contemplated? I mean, I know the molds are incredibly expensive, but have you contemplated ma- making your own tub? 
I have thought about it. I do not have the funds to truly accomplish that. Okay. I can't imagine that's cheap. Um, because, you know, here in actually the town in which I live, uh, in northern Colorado, we have a plastic injection molder. Nice. So I could do that. I could go to them and be like, this is what I want. You know, but I'm at, and again, it comes down to when it comes how many do I have to order? I probably got to order 10,000 of them to make it reasonable. Right. Right. And I don't have the 12 to 15 grand right now to just let me take this and just go. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I heard that the actual making the mold is the most expensive part from what I gather. Yeah. Um, so, and that's actually interesting because one of the gentlemen that I currently work with, he was in plastic plastic injection molding for ten years before he chose to do my line of profession, my profession now. Um, and... Interesting, Colorado-based plastic company. Interesting. Yeah. Get so... my drift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it's. He, you know, he has the inside scoop and he's told me, you know, because I've asked questions about how much would it cost to have things done. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, okay, so good prices are going to be this, this, or this. He goes, if you see, because I like, I had quoted some special part to be made for one of the projects I was doing a couple years ago. And I, I, I took him to him and he, he just like literally was like, picked up my quotes, threw them in the trash. And it was all like, oh. they're screwing you over. <laughs> you know, he's like, that should be a $40 thing, not a $200 thing. Right. You know, so, which then I brought that back to them and was like, hey, so this is what I know. And all of a sudden it became like 60 bucks. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> Weird. Magic. Crazy, right? Yeah. Good to have friends who have done stuff before, right? Indeed. But you are, uh, you're getting kind of strapped for time, right? So we can probably start. I'm in the process, actually, as we speak, getting dressed, <laughs> wandering around my room. <laughs> nice. All right. Gotta love night shift. So then what are the, what are the plans for, for the, the business moving forward? So I am in the process of finishing up my website. I've said that probably for like three weeks now. Um, and I have, again, this is knowing people helps me because I have mm-hmm. no clue. I've never done that stuff before in my life. Hey, at and least you got the Instagram up. I was happy about that. Yeah. Thank you to Justin by that, by the way. I, I, I wrote him a strategy and everything. Nice. I was like, yeah. here's what you got to do. Hammer it. Um, and uh, I mean, I'll just say, uh, so I'm in law enforcement. And so that has driven me out of the social media world. Yeah. Right. Because right. I don't want people that I mess with to know me. Yep. Of course. So um, I was very ignorant when it comes to social media ways and a lot of that stuff. Um, so for me, what seems very simple to so many people, I'm like, what, what is this? What's the internet? What, 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 are, what, are, what are these little Thing. What is this pound sign doing here? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell's a hashtag? <laughs> exactly. 
Um, and so I'm still learning. I'm reading a lot. I'm doing what I can when I can to figure this stuff out. Um, when it came to a website, I started messing around with it myself. I looked at it and after like four hours of me staring at it and realized I accomplished nothing. Yeah. I went to my wife's sister-in-law who happens to build websites and she's designing, helping design it on her free time for free. Nice. Awesome. awesome. So we're getting that together. Um, that'll come up. I'll have, you know, to start, it's just going to be kind of the standard size of cages. Yeah. You know, your, your four by two by twos, your four by two by 18s, three foots. Um, I'll offer six foots, eight foots. Um, you know, those are all available. Mm-hmm. And then I'll use for my website, it's going to start with the vision tubs as the standard. Um, and then it'll say in there, if you have a specific tub in mind, I don't have a problem building anything for a specific tub, contact me, tell me what you want and I can make it happen. If you can dream it, you can do it. Yeah. Which has happened several times. Um, not only with Jake now and Justin, you know, Justin bringing up the arboreal stuff, Jake wanting a very specific six quart tub. To of use. course he does. That diva. Yep. <laughs> That's fine. And as you guys all saw if you, in my pictures, I or as soon as I as soon as you guys like nailed down what you wanted, and you're like, this is what I want, this is what I want. I just went out and ordered them because I can and I did. And get it get it rolling and get them built and figure out my measurements and everything like that. Um, none of that bothers me. I really enjoy building mm-hmm. and figuring all this stuff out. So for me to go out in my garage and spend an entire day just messing around with measurements and figuring stuff out and screwing up a couple sheets of plastic. It's not a problem to me. I enjoy that. That's fun. Right. I like, let me ask you, what's a, what's the lead time? If somebody, I mean, ballpark lead time, if somebody does want something that is custom or, or even a production that you just happen to be out of providing you have the appropriate materials and the equipment and the tubs and stuff. What's a general lead time? So right now it's um, I've got a couple, actually I just got a couple orders in and I should have them done in about a week. Awesome. You know, awesome. Um, and that's not an issue. So one of those orders is actually going to be pretty fun. It's a four by two by four. Oh, wow. So it's a very tall cage for a gentleman's white lip Python. That's cool. Uh, Very cool. Now, are you, as far as like the lead time thing goes, are you going to like cap the number of orders you have at a time to keep those lead times shorter? So, because I feel like that's the the biggest complaint with pretty much every company except Sea Serpents is like, and I mean, there's going to be lead times. Like, it's not going to be something they can just be like, yeah, I'll have it out tomorrow, you know? But yeah, in my experience recently, it's like, how, 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 how are you still doing this? with being that backed up yeah that's insane um i mean i'm nowhere near big enough to truly give a perspective on this and and, you know and i'm looking at it i personally if i'm at a point where i honestly can't give you get you your your stuff done in six to eight weeks i'm going to tell you i'm not going to take your money because i can't promise it in in a reasonable amount of time i'm not that person i think that's wrong in my opinion Absolutely respectable. And I I just, I'm not going to do that to people. I got chills. Um, (laughs) And I'll tell you, just talking about sea serpents, not to cut you off, but 
the reason why he puts and Chris Nettles is my boy, man. I love him. I, I've been hanging out with that guy since before he did racks and cages mm-hmm. and incubators and stuff. He's got on any given day six to eight guys working for him, you know, and yeah. he's he's got the demand to do it, and that's that's totally great for him. But you know, for you to say, hey, three, four, five weeks on a lead time, I think that's totally respectable. And for you to say, hey. I can't do it in a timely fashion. Give me a couple weeks, give me a couple months, and then we'll reevaluate. I think that's respectable too. Or just put them on like a wait list, and then when you're ready, just be like, "Hey, yeah. if you're still looking, I'm I'm good to go." For, so, you know. you know, another thing that I don't have a problem doing is doing basically a, a layaway style program. I don't have a problem you making a payment type system over a couple of months. You know, because if you know, the reality is, is some people buy, you know, retics and don't realize what exactly they need. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so they get a retic. It's growing. It's now out of the tub they have. And they need, they want their eight foot enclosure. Eight foot enclosures are not cheap. Um, you know, they're not $200. I don't have a problem putting people on payment plans. And so they can be on the track to getting that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't have a problem working with people um, and doing that. I've offered that to several people, and one person, individual right now, is potentially going to take me up on that. Um, you know, and they and, and they were the smart way. They were looking for something in May, anyways. So now to do it is the perfect time. They have a few months. It doesn't have to hit their pocketbook at any one time. Right. It's perfect for them. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, if they're going to be waiting good. anyways, you know, if there's going to be a lead time, that gives them a little more wiggle room. And it takes a little heat off your back because you're not pressured to say, oh, crap, i got to get this out in yeah. three weeks or yeah. whatever. Yeah. You know, you could say, hey, um, man, I, I got a little extra time. I'll bust out half this cage, you know. So on that note, I have a wonderful delivery coming tomorrow morning. And I did order my first CNC machine. Yes. Nice. So I do have a CNC machine. It's going to take that level of quality up a notch mm-hmm. because the small imperfections you get by doing things by hand, yeah, it just happens. It's going to take that out. Everything is going to be the exact same size. You know, if you want a a four foot cage stack, it's going to be four foot all the way down. You know, they're going to be the exact same thing over and over. And I can bring with that, it makes me be able to bring that every single time. Awesome. So, and then that'll actually help with time. Um, because what, uh, if I do. Yeah. Go ahead. I say, don't finish what you're saying. Sorry. It's because the longest step right now in my process is cutting out panels. You oh, know? sure. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm like right now, I'm. I have my first show I'm going to be attending in April uh, down in Pueblo, Colorado. Um, I'm going to be going there. Uh, so I'm putting together just a bunch of racks and stuff like that, some cages, and just to have on hand so I can take there. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I go and piece that out, I don't piece it out one at a time. I design, I get my exact cuts for 10 sheets of plastic. And then I spend two days measuring those out, cutting them out you know, and batch them out that way. Yeah, now you'll have the ability to press play or press go and, 
you know, mm-hmm. go out to yeah. have dinner with the family, you come back and boom, your 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 palettes are cut or whatever. Yeah. Um, what software are you going to be using for the CNC? So I am going to use is it Vectric is the company. Okay. It is VCarve, VCarve Pro. Okay. Microsoft uh, Word. <laughs> yes. I've seen VCarve. That's cool stuff. Yes. It and the, and the, the cat on that's a little more user-friendly. Yeah, I've uh, downloaded the trial edition, and I've been playing with it for the past month and a half just to get so, it down. So you're and, ready. Yeah. 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 yeah it's... And, I, I mean, I don't want to sound insulting, but you're also working with a lot of two-dimensional stuff, and, you know, I'm assuming you're going to two-axis lathe, or two, excuse me, two-axis CNC? Yes. Okay. Yeah, man, it, I, a lot of the vectors for that are going to be way more simple than someone that's doing, like, a, a multi-polygonal object, you know? Yes. Um, and when I need help, if I ever need help on anything like that, I am fortunate enough. I know a lot of people. So I'm fortunate enough to know people who, that's all they do. They're machinists. And all they do is run three-axis and two-axis machines all day. So I have the resources available to reach out if I run into an issue or if I want to expand into something three that that's going to involve three dimensions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's Dude, awesome, it sounds man. like you're mapping it out, man. I love it. Where can, uh, where can, where can people find you? People can find me on Facebook at MP cages and exotics or Instagram, which I'm going to have to take a second and see what the actual <laughs> thing is because I'm not good at this yet. And to think, 15, 20 years ago, MySpace had us writing HTML in high school. <laughs> yeah. It would also, it's, uh, oh, come on, load phone. I know you're busy doing it. Do we need things. to go find my old MySpace again, Phil? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, what, what atrocities we saw that night. <laughs> but also on, it's MP Cages and Exotics on Instagram as well. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah, man, me and Jake are super excited about the partnership and everything, and it, it couldn't have happened at a better time. You know, the stars aligned just right. You know, thanks to... I, I like to think that Phil played a hand in it, because if we hadn't started Snakes and Stogies and moved it to YouTube, maybe it wouldn't have happened. But Yeah, man, I, I love it. The reality is it wouldn't have. Um, and and you are a cigar I, man, right? I don't have a problem smoking cigars. I enjoy them. Do I have the knowledge you guys have? <laughs> no way. <laughs> At least you're still smoking. That's good stuff. That's right. Um, yeah, so... Um, we'll have the yeah, links then, plastered all over everything. If, yeah, so I, and then I, when my people website, won't have a hard time to find you. So when yeah. my website is officially done, it will be mpcage.com. Sweet. Cool. So We'll share that around, too. Awesome. Okay. But we will uh, we'll let you get to work, man. Don't have too much fun. Yeah. Um, Be safe. Don't do anything I would. <laughs> well, I, got, I can't I got imagine rules I Phil as a cop. Phil as a cop is terrifying to me. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, so all in all, today was a really good day. At work, we finished saving a man's life because we have a blizzard out right now. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, he decided to walk and got lost in the blizzard. Nice. Oh, so geez. we spent four hours tracking him down through the snow and found him on the brink of he was he almost turned into jack nicholson in the shining yeah he was unconscious he was ready to go and we found him right at the right moment that's nuts awesome so that was that was a good good night you can and then you can keep that snow bullshit <laughs> yes trust me 
it's not the most pleasant. I'm sick of the snow already. It's fun for about a day, and then I'm over it. But it was a good night. Then I had the podcast. Yeah, man. Uh, it was a good day, man. Good day. We'll definitely it, we'll get you on again at some point, without a doubt. Absolutely. I'm always down. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it, man. It's a bummer Jake couldn't be here, but Phil did an awesome job. He's here in spirit. That's right. He is. But uh, take it easy, man. We'll be in touch. Yeah, be safe. Right. Have a good Thanks. You, bud. Have a good night. Later. Bye-bye. <clears throat> Twas a good one. It was. It was a great, great podcast. Yeah. Do, 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 do. I think it's great, too, that you know we had a rapport with him prior to this. Yeah, so it yeah, was definitely. very comfortable for him. We've know? been talking to him a lot. You know, me and Jake have. Have, have been in... Like I said, the whole thing couldn't have happened at a better time. It just, you know, the stars aligned just right because, you know, we had kind of, I had talked to some other people about, you know, a sponsorship kind of thing, and they've already got a big following or whatever, and so really not a whole lot in it for them, you know, as far as promotion because they've already got enough business as is, and, you know, I like talking to him and, you know, his just his, his overall mentality when it comes to business and the whole partnership thing, you know, he's he's the perfect guy for it. You know, where it's we, we totally we wanted to be mutually beneficial. You know, it's not just going to be like, hey, man, you're our sponsor. Like, do this now for us. Like, you want us to promote? You got to do our thing. Like, he's I want to help him out just as much as he wants to help us out. Yeah, man. You know, it's great. It's That's the way to do it. It's awesome. You know, it's it's nice to know sort of what his products are going to be all about. And I'm super excited to get my hands on some. And totally, uh, you know, I think I think he's he's going to do well. So do I. So, but anyways, uh, this is episode sixty-eight. Thanks again to Steve Snakeshuary and Sean at MP Cages and Exotics, who is now the official, one of the official sponsors, the main sponsor of the Herpeticulture Podcast. I am Justin Rock and Smith roll. of Palmetto Coast Exotics. I am uh, Phil Wolf of JLB Morelia. <laughs> <laughs> Not those that IG. Find it. The Enjoy wolf, it. Wolf of Wheeler Eye. Meh. All right, buddy. Well, I'm sure I'll text you in about five minutes. Probably. I'll sing you to sleep. Thanks for listening. Yeah. See you later. Adios, muchachos. <laughs> you should read children's books for real, dude. Oh, it would be horrible. It'd be horrible, great. horrible, horrible. The Hungry, Hungry Caterpillar, read by Phil Wolf. Good night, Moon. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. He's like you're just sitting there and all of a sudden it says a comb and a brush and a bowl full of brush. Stop. <laughs> Alright, I'm gone for real now. THP for life. See you later. Bye. <laughs>